So, Kenneth, you were saying boys and girls like you, like, was there a time when you were a boy? Like, are the kids, like, you really were one time, like. So, Merry Christmas. My name's Mark. If you're here for the first time or joining us online, I want to welcome you. Um, I uh, know, and I just want to reach out, especially to those who are stuck at home wishing they could be here or wishing they could be somewhere else. I, this afternoon, brought a care package over to some friends who weren't able to travel because of COVID. And when I got out of the car, a, a little guy who I didn't, don't know, never seen before, he sees me with some stuff and he looks at me and he says, another COVID Christmas. <laughs> just out of nowhere. So there we are, another COVID Christmas. And here we are. Who knew that we'd start stringing these things together? But, but we are. And I get to talk about Jesus again tonight, and I'm really excited to be able to do that. And I want to talk about this same Jesus we were just hearing this story about. Jesus is always surprising. Jesus never meets people's expectations. He always turns things upside down. He's, he doesn't come in the way that's expected. He doesn't come to the people that are expected. And a lot of times the reality is people don't get Jesus. They don't understand him. They don't get him. And they don't get Christians or Christianity either. You know, think about what we just heard about, what Kenneth was just telling us about. If the king of kings is coming into the world, where are you going to find him? In a palace. But he arrives in a manger. Who's he going to be born to? Well, he's going to be born to a king, right? He's going to be born to somebody rich and powerful and famous. And yet here he is born to this blue-collar couple in this out-of-the-way corner. And you know, that kind of unexpected, don't get it, surprising experience, people are still having that with Jesus today and with Christianity today. I want to read a little story as I get started thinking about Jesus and how he becomes a friend of sinners. I want to just read this story as an example that many of us have had, maybe we've been like this or we've experienced people like this. Here's a gal named Thalia. She didn't get Jesus and she didn't get Christians. I haven't met her, but I came across her story in a book written by our friend Randy Newman called Unlikely Converts. Here, here's what he, he writes. He says, Thalia loved to make fun of her Christian friends. Her dorm room walls displayed profanity-laden posters, and she enjoyed quoting those around Christians. She loved to swear colorfully to embarrass them. During our conversation, Randy writes, she told me that she once called a Christian friend and said, guess what? I've accepted Jesus into my life. When he replied excitedly, really? She told me that she said no. And I laughed at him and cursed him out, calling him stupid and worse stuff. I was really horrible to him. Now, just a few years later, she shook her head in disbelief at her cruelty. Thalia enjoyed mocking and teasing Christians because ultimately she didn't get Jesus. And you know, that's not new. Many of us could say that's been true of ourselves as well. But Jesus himself experienced this when he was on earth. And I want to read, tonight's verse is Matthew eleven nineteen. but I want to just read a couple verses before that so that we can understand why he's saying what he's saying. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Matthew eleven sixteen. to what shall I compare this generation? He's talking to the people around him. 
It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom, he says, is justified by her deeds. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to the people of his day, the people around him, he's saying, look, those people are treating him, he's the son of man in that reading, and John, that's John the Baptist, he said, you guys are treating us like some whiny kids complaining about other whiny kids. You ever have that happen in your neighborhood or in a family? We wanted to play games and you wouldn't play with us. You were too busy. We wanted to go get something to eat and you weren't hungry. Saying that's how they're treating John and him. John comes kind of like an Old Testament prophet, self-denial, he's an ascetic, and they say, he's got a demon, the guy's crazy. Jesus comes doing the opposite. He's having lavish parties, but with the sinners and the outcasts, the tax collectors, the riffraff of the city. And they say, we don't want anything to do with him either. I want you to see cancel culture, nothing new there. They dismiss John with, he's got a demon, and they dismiss Jesus with, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He, he eats too much, and he drinks too much, and he hangs out with all the wrong people. We want nothing to do with him. Now, there's an old saying that half a joke is the truth. And it's also true that sometimes enemies speak better than they know. And when they say of Jesus, look at him, a friend of sinners, they have no idea how much they've gotten right. Because to read the Gospels, to read the four accounts of Jesus' life is to discover that Jesus is, in fact, a never-failing friend to sinners. Jesus is a never-failing friend to sinners. Jesus has the heart of a never-failing, always welcoming companion and friend of sinners. Now, during this Advent season, the four Sundays leading up to this Christmas Eve service, we've been remembering Jesus' arrival on earth and we've been listening to what the Bible teaches us about the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. I am so grateful for this little book called Gentle and Lowly that has been an encouragement to us to think more about the heart of Jesus Christ. And if you're here as a guest tonight, we have a free copy of this book that we would love to give to you and encourage you uh, with that. We also just want you to know, if you don't really care that much about the book, but you love chocolate, there's a chocolate bar that comes with it. So take them both and hang on to the book and maybe something good will happen later. Chapter 12 is a chapter about Jesus being the friend of sinners drawn from Matthew 11:19, And the idea there is that Jesus has a heart of a never failing friend. Is that the Jesus you know? Do you know a Jesus with the heart of a never-failing friend? I want you to just come with me and let's look tonight and see if that's in fact true, if that's the testimony of the people who knew him and wrote about his life. Jesus has the heart of a never-failing friend. So let's think about this first. What's a friend? We talk about friends a lot. What, what is a friend? You can friend someone on Facebook. 
There's a famous sitcom called Friends. You can be a friend of the Fairfax City Library if you volunteer or give some money to be a supporter of the library. But the friendship that we're talking about here, the friendship that comes into view with Jesus being the friend of sinners, it goes beyond just clicking a friend request. The people around Jesus, listen to this, they're not complaining about Jesus inviting the wrong people to his meetings. They are complaining that Jesus is spending his time with the wrong people. He's sharing life with the wrong people. He's having dinner parties with the wrong people. He's bringing the wrong people into his inner circle and treating them as friends. What's a friend? The Oxford English Dictionary defines it this way. One joined to another in mutual benevolence and intimacy. What does that mean? One joined to another. There's a connection that's made, right? There's a sharing of something that's, that, that, that begins to come about. There's a companionship. And there's this mutual benevolence. Benevolence means seeking the good of another. And so each one is seeking the good of the other. You can't have a healthy friendship that's all one-sided. There's got to be some mutuality to it. The two seeking the good of one another. And there's also an intimacy to it. I, I like this definition because I think it gets these important parts. To have a real friendship, you've got to be able to open up and be vulnerable to some degree. And the closer the friendship, the more the openness and the more the vulnerability. So to have a friend that's a companion, that's seeking your good and you're seeking theirs, and that you can be open and vulnerable with and they can be that way with you, those kinds of people are rare, aren't they? If you think about, just think about for a moment, think how many people you know. Just you know their name. That's all you know about them. At least you know that much. Draw a circle around that group. That's a pretty big group. Now think about the people that you have this kind of friendship with. You enjoy being with them and they enjoy being with you. They stick with you through the ups and downs of your life and you do that with them. They're seeking your good and you're seeking theirs and you can be open and vulnerable with them. Draw a circle around that group and that's a really small circle, isn't it? For some, that's only one or two. And for some, you may be here tonight and realize, you know what? I don't have a single person in the world that I can really call a friend in that way. That can be a painful realization. And I want to encourage you tonight with good news. Let me read you a quote from the book I mentioned a moment ago. Dane Ortland writes, Here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. No matter how many or few earthly friends you might have, here's a friend who is always faithful, always welcoming, and will always enjoy your presence. Is that true? Is Orland right when he says this? Well, let's take a look. Let's ask the question, did Jesus really come to be a friend of sinners? Look at him, a friend of sinners. You know, recently I had a chance to go to Ford's Theater and there was a little display in the museum downstairs about Abraham Lincoln. And one of the things that really surprised me was when he was president of the United States of America, 
he had a daily practice to carve out three hours of his day when he would sit and make himself available to anybody who wanted to come talk to him about anything. He was that accessible. Can you imagine the president today having three hours a day when anybody could come talk to him? Can you imagine CEOs of big companies or famous people? Typically, as people become rich and famous and powerful, they become less accessible. And the more rich and the more powerful, the more famous, the less available, the less accessible. Now, think about this. The Son of God. Is there anyone richer or more powerful than him? And what happens when he becomes a human being? We just heard the story. He's born in a town of sinners. He's born to a family of sinners. He's descended from a line of sinners. The sinless second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, comes to live, and he doesn't live isolated up on a mountain. He doesn't live protected in a palace with security guards all around him. He's out in the open. He's talking to people. He's healing people. He's teaching people. He's having dinner with people. He could have used Zoom for the whole thing. But he does and he comes in person. The writer of this gospel knows what he's talking about. This is the gospel of Matthew. Do you know who Matthew was? Matthew was one of those sinners and tax collectors that the Pharisees were so mad that Jesus kept hanging around. Two chapters earlier in Matthew 9, we see Jesus passing by Matthew and he says, come follow me. And you know what he does? He follows him. And you know the first thing he does? You can read about it in Luke chapter 7. Matthew's too modest to give the details in his own gospel, so Luke fills it in. You know what he does? He throws a huge dinner party that night for Jesus. And you know who he invites? Who's a tax collector going to invite? All his friends, they're all tax collectors. And tax collectors, you need to know, they were hated by the people of Israel. Tax collectors were Jewish people who were collaborating with the Empire of Rome, employed by the Empire of Rome, to collect taxes for the Empire of Rome, and they got to skim off and keep some of the money themselves. They were hated. And Jesus says to that tax collector, come be one of my disciples. Come follow me. And then that tax collector gets all his friends, the tax collector guild together, and Jesus comes and hangs out and has dinner with them. Jesus was always doing these dinner parties. The Pharisees and religious leaders, they hated it, but to Matthew, Jesus has become a never-failing friend. And he writes a gospel to tell us about it. Over in Luke chapter 7, there's another party I want to tell you about tonight. This is a party not hosted by a tax collector. It's hosted by one of the religious elite, one of the insiders, a Pharisee. His name was Simon. While Jesus is there at this dinner party, a person uninvited comes in and creates a huge ruckus. She's a woman who clearly doesn't fit in this scene. Here's the scene. This is a dinner party. Now, when, when you're at dinner in the first century in, in this place, you're not sitting at a table like, like we sit. They're lying down because their table's about this high, so they're literally reclining at table, all right? And so your feet are over there like this. And so while they're, while they're having this meal, this lady comes in. And you know what she does? She's got some massage oil. And she begins to wash and massage Jesus' feet. 
And she's weeping while she's doing this. She's literally sobbing and weeping and tears are falling from her eyes onto Jesus' feet. And she's, she's rubbing those tears and that massage oil into his feet. She apparently forgot to bring a towel because when she's done, she uses her hair to dry his feet. Can you try to picture, like, what would that look like today at Magiano's? Like, what would that look like in your dining room for, like, somebody to come in and, and do this? Simon, the Pharisee, the host, looks at this woman. She's the wrong person in the wrong place doing things the wrong way. And he is mad. And you know what he's, he's doing? He's thinking if this dude were a prophet, he would know this woman is a sinner and shouldn't be doing this. What he didn't know is Jesus knows his thoughts. And Jesus has this little conversation with him. Simon thinks those thoughts and Jesus responds. And he turns the tables on, on Simon. And he says, Simon, I came into your house. You didn't welcome me the way you're supposed to. You didn't wash my feet, but she did. You didn't show me hospitality the way you're supposed to, but look what she has done for me. And then he ends the scene by forgiving this woman's sins. So at the end of that night, who do you think had become a friend of Jesus? Simon or the woman? The sinful woman. The woman that Jesus welcomed because she came in humility, knowing she was a sinner. I don't know how Simon ended that evening or that night. I hope he found the grace to follow in that woman's footsteps. And I hope that he came to know Jesus in the way that she did because she left that house knowing that Jesus has the heart of a never-failing, always-welcoming friend of sinners. And she'd been received into that company. Was Jesus a friend of sinners? Hey, don't take my word for it. Listen to him. Listen to him. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. I have called you friends. And he is such a friend that he later would lay down his life for his friends. At the cross, Jesus, the sinless one, died a sinner's death, was numbered with the transgressors, was buried in a sinner's tomb, and died as a substitute for sinners. Died so they, we, wouldn't have to. Can there be a greater friend than that? Jesus is the always faithful, always welcoming, never failing friend of sinners. And so I just want to ask tonight, where are you? We've arrived here in different places, watching, seated here tonight. We're not all in agreement about Jesus, are we? Remember Thalia, who I mentioned at the beginning? She hit a low point in court watching her mom cry over Thalia's troubles with alcohol and drugs and car accidents. To her own surprise, when a woman on campus asked Thalia if she was going to heaven, Thalia didn't make fun of her. She asked her to tell her more. And through that conversation and Bible studies, through that woman and friends that had been reaching out to her with kindness and patience, 
Jesus became her friend, friend of sinners. She came to know Jesus in this saving way. That same Jesus who reached out to Matthew and to Thalia, to that woman, and one day to me as well, he's here and he's reaching out to you tonight. Where are you tonight? Maybe you've rarely spent time in church and this is a strange place for you. Maybe you've been in church hundreds of times. Maybe you've been invited here by a friend tonight or dragged here by a parent. Maybe you don't even know why you're here tonight. But I want to say, you're not here by accident. And now you've heard how Jesus has become a friend of sinners. So what about you? It seems that when people saw and heard Jesus in his time, most rejected him because he didn't fit their expectations. Many ate with him. Many heard him teach. Only a few became his friends. Because before we can know him as friend, we must first know ourselves to be sinners. And hear these last words from Jesus tonight. To all sinners, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. There we are with the food theme again. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And that invitation to know Jesus as the friend of sinners, it's for you. It's here tonight. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for gathering us here tonight. We do gather all in different places, different states of mind. I do pray tonight that you would awaken in someone a new sense of need that would set them on a search to find you and send your help to, to them tonight, I pray. Through Christians, through your word, by your spirit, please bring people to know you as the friend of sinners, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to return to singing. And as we